Hey, Bob. Yeah. What's the plan for finding Reggie? I mean, it's gonna be tough tracking him down without anything to go on. Yeah. But he's black. How many fucking black people you think there are in Iceland? We just stand around here and keep our eyes open. That's not much of a plan, Bob. You don't think we should trade? There he is. These are cold hard times. These are cold hard times. I heard my brother died last week, or was that just a rumor? From an overdose of hate taken in his veins. I heard the preacher said God must have a sense of humor. Cause when they put him in the grave, it didn't even rain. It's a cold. Black belt and jujitsu, motherfuckers! You don't put up much of a fight, do you? Fucking Stephen Hawking can knock you out. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, you kind of have to be. I guess I should count myself lucky you didn't put me in a fucking chokehold or some shit. Shut up, shut up. So, Iceland? What the fuck? I wasn't thinking straight. No shit. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of Fly By Films. I'm your host, uh, co-host, Jameson Barsotti. And with me over in uh, the uh, soon-to-be, like, destination of, of um, the Great American Escape, something like that. I don't know. Mm. We'll talk about it in a second. Okay. But uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, is my friend, Blake Collier, and um, he's in Tulsa. And today, dear listeners, we are going to be continuing our journey through the films of the McDonough Brothers. So we'll be discussing two McDonough Brothers movies, one from... John Michael McDonough, which is going to be War on Everyone, and another one from Martin McDonough, which is going to be Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Or as I and... called it, Billborgs. <laughs> Billborgs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Highly we'll get controversial into... films, these two. One of them is more controversial than the other, though. That's because for it got this... more, more fanfare. Yeah, for the simple reason because of that no one has seen one of these movies <laughs> except for us. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, we're going to uh, get into that. Um, but I, I guess I wanted to start today with a simple question, Blake. Okay. How have you been sleeping lately? <laughs> well, uh, it was it was interesting. We had we had guests uh, in our house all weekend for a uh, consecration of our new bishop, uh, and so they came in from Knoxville, Tennessee. 
we had never met them before, but they needed a place to stay because they were a part of the service. And uh, so we had guests. And honestly, I slept a lot this weekend. And yet I was still exhausted by the end of it. Um, which I don't know how that happens, but I think it's just the introverted soul in me. Uh, having people in the house 24-7 for a period of time wears on me and so yeah any amount of sleep i may have gotten was completely sucked out by extroversion extroversion so uh on the whole though i've been sleeping fairly well how about you jameson yeah i've been sleeping okay uh (laughs) hazel's been waking up a lot and that's that's one thing but uh you know, it's it's all right. I think most of my bad sleep, and I know what you mean too. Like, uh, but most, most of, of my, my bad sleep, sleep is is based because of my my own damn fault because I stay up too late or um, you playing, know don't take advantage of. Yeah, well, I haven't played Zelda in a while actually because I've been too busy. But um, too busy. Uh, I don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, I, I'll stay up late and think like, oh, the nighttime is when I get to do things. Mm-hmm. And then that's not really true. The nighttime is when I should be sleeping so that I do things with excellence tomorrow. Excellence. Fine. I do things okay instead of just falling asleep, yeah. you know, in the middle of the day. But uh, but I've definitely experienced what you're talking about, um, too, when you get too much sleep or you get a lot of sleep and you're just tired still. And usually in my case, what that comes from is my body is like working on a deficit and it's it's not that I'm getting sleep to be more rested. I'm getting sleep and my body is trying to fill that deficit and i think what happens is it realizes how poor my sleep is and so i wake up just feeling like absolute crap well what's so funny is that like for me it's not so much i i've felt that way too um actually when i sleep more than probably about eight and a half nine hours i tend to be more tired than if i'd just gotten up at like seven or eight hours Um, but this time, like, I felt really good after both nights of sleep, like from the Friday into Saturday night, this last weekend, I slept nearly, I went to bed because I was exhausted Friday night at eight and I slept until 715. So I nearly got 12 hours and I woke up and I felt really good. But by the end of that day, I felt exhausted (laughs) and i got another good night to sleep night of sleep on saturday into sunday but man by the end of sunday man i was just blasted i was like (sighs) so i don't know if it was deficit i don't know if it was just constantly you know having having people in the house and having to like be there and present for people that I've never really met before. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, how did sharing your house with strangers go? That was fun. 
right. Perfectly sweet people. They Very a, good. They had a little girl that was Seamus's age, so they got to play. Oh, that's so. that's lovely. Yeah. Very nice. It was fun. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I wanted to wrap back to that comment I made in the intro. I was reading about how Oklahoma is going to be the new uh, California slash Florida when it comes to uh, theme parks. And you guys are getting the great American adventure or whatever, whatever the fuck it's called. The great, it's something the great like American that. American heritage park, some stupid shit like that. Yeah, no, we, we, my wife told me about this and it's actually not far away from where her, her parents live. Okay. Like we're talking yeah. the place that Seamus goes usually one night a week to be with his grandparents. Like I can only imagine how the traffic is going to be a bitch once this place is open. Oof. Yeah. So, but but I mean, how? What's like the project or the projection on like time? Oh, it's for this be, thing to be it's built. Be, but it'll probably be like three or four or five years, I would imagine, before it's open. Okay. Yeah. Probably longer. I I haven't read that much on it, but I just know that it's it's in the works and it's supposed to be huge and. My wife has this, my wife is weirdly optimistic about some things in that she's like, well, hey, at least it's one of those things we could take our kids to instead of having to travel all the way to California or Florida for Disney World or Disneyland. And, uh, and then we have a, we have a fun story that we can, uh, we can tell once we get back after we have to correct all of their historical understandings of american past so yeah (laughs) yeah so is that is that like um is that the theme of the park like the american myth is that like i I I guess i wish it was that because at least it'd be more honest i think the people who are putting this together probably believe whatever propaganda they're going to try to sell us. Like, we're talking, like, probably the worst sort of American nationalistic, like, BS. Like, think of O'Reilly's history books or Rush Limbaugh's mm-hmm. history books for kids. This It's probably going to be in that same vein. Yeah. Um, I didn't ever experienced those books but there was um oh man i was homeschooled so we did we had all these like conservative books we did you have william i think that what william bennett no not william bennett um there was the the kind of main one was a becca books which um Hmm. you might be familiar with you've probably heard of pensacola christian college um they... it's in florida okay. in pensacola gotcha. they um my sister went for like a semester to that college and it was so she couldn't handle it it was like it was i mean i think you guys tulsa 
it's not Bob Jones in Tulsa. It's uh, Oral, Roberts. Or- Oral Roberts. Yeah, Oral Roberts. I get them mixed up all the time. Oh, it's understandable because they were pretty similar in their political views. So. Yeah, yeah, but Pensacola Christian College is just kind of another one of those mm-hmm. types where, like, you know, the men and women have to essentially like walk on different sidewalks and things like yeah. that. You know, mm-hmm. I know it's I know it's not that bad, but there are things that are are you know shocking to to normal people i'm sure yeah um but um but yeah so they produce this like these series of of curriculum books called the becca books and um i'm sure it stood for something but the ones that i remember like the his history ones weren't a becca ones it was like written by this one guy i don't remember but I don't even know why we were using them as history books. They were because they weren't very rigorous. Uh, they were called like the light and the glory. I don't know if anyone out there remembers these things. I think they were like big in conservative Christian homeschool groups because I I remember seeing them a lot, and then I don't remember what happened to them. Anyway, but yeah, they were. They were trash. They were all, all no, about. surely not. Not with a name like Light and the Glory. The Light and the Glory. They were supposed to be like novels, novels or, 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 or some sort of, you know, they weren't novels. They weren't historical fiction, but, um, but they weren't textbooks. Oh, no, I found it. Peter Marshall and David Manuel. Oh, yeah. 1492 to 1793, God's Plan for America. Yeah. Revised and expanded edition in case you wanted it. Nope. Oh, man. I know what I'm going to make my book club read. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. No. For those not in the know, Blake recently joined my book club, and so he would be forced to read that. I would, if, I would read it. Yeah. I'd read it. I'd cringe. I don't. I would read it. I don't want to. I don't want to waste my my turn on that. That's fair. I want to. Yeah. Plus, I didn't. I didn't think it was. I didn't think our book club was nonfiction. I thought it had to be fiction. Uh, actually, I don't think there are any rules on that. We just haven't had, well, some doofus chose the book of Matthew last year. Um, well, but that's, that, 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 that's, I mean, most people consider that fiction, even though I disagree, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think anyone in our book club would straight up call it put it in the same group as like uh as as fiction so but it's not <laughs> really non-fiction either <laughs> yeah it's a religious text it's a sacred text exactly exactly no and i i my friend who chose it it was actually a, a an, an interesting, interesting choice. choice we read it and then we discussed it and we had some good time so I don't mean to call my friend a doofus, but we just kind of rip him for that choice because it was a weird off-the-wall choice. 
but yeah, I don't, we don't, we're not like specifically fiction books. I just don't think anyone has chosen a nonfiction yet. Hmm. So, okay. Something to consider when it's your turn, Blake. Oh no, I already know what mine is going to be. Ooh. I don't know Can't when it's going to happen, but I already know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I could figure it out. Yeah, it'll probably be in like a year and a half. Uh, yeah, yeah sounds <laughs> When right. it'll be your turn. Because we read so slowly. Uh, and I'm, I'm not joking. Like, oh, yeah, no, I, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Um, man. Uh, yeah, so, I mean... In any case, even if they believe that it is, that's like the history of America, it is going to be about the American myth, which is maybe interesting in the context of this episode, but we can get to that later. But but the problem is, is that it's, it's interesting if we understand it as a observation and a study of how myth is created and propagated. Mm -hmm. It's not interesting whenever the person basically says it's true, period. (laughs) Yes, it's not interesting to be in that environment. Maybe I think it's interesting to to watch people do that. Oh, yeah, it's it's endlessly fascinating because it happens all the time on all sides of the political spectrum, to be honest. So, yeah 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 uh, well I, yeah. I i will avoid that book thank you for enlightening me to some another book i need to avoid i'll add it to Please. the pile i've got two piles <laughs> books i don't want to avoid and books i do want to avoid blake i like that you're so thorough that you're like i am gonna go through every book and i am going to sort them into one of these things and i appreciate yeah. any guidance in sorting these whereas in my mind i'm just like i've never heard of that book i will never read it <laughs> i just it it does it essentially doesn't exist anymore you know or to me well i mean if you really want to talk about that what does exist <laughs> i don't know Man. I mean, if you're if you're Bishop Barclay back in the 16, 1700s, whatever it was, he thought that anything that we sensed, uh, once we stopped sensing it, no longer exist. The only, you know how I, this is actually, he's actually one of my favorite philosophers, not because I believe him and hold to his his understanding but i think his it's fascinating the you know how he gets around the whole idea of and a a world that exists outside of our our sensory information he says god is the all seeing all sensing power so because even if i turn my back to this door that's behind me and i can't see it it still exists because god is still sensing it and has sensed it, and will continue to sense it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um... 
I mean, that's I. I have to admit that's that's like a clever. It's it's an incredible uh, solution clever, to why a like problem it. that. Yeah, it's a clever solution to a problem that doesn't need to exist. <laughs> um, and yeah, which enlightenment philosophers is all that. That's all they ever thought about. How do yeah. we know things are? How do we know things are real, and exist? Yeah. Oh man, I'm reading. Um, I'm reading the book Girdle Escher Bach right now. Yeah, one um, of one of our uh, one of our uh, mutual friends is doing the same, and he told me that he has to constantly message you to explain it to him. <laughs> yeah, it's basically about it. So, for for those who haven't read this book, it's about the foundations. Well, it's not about the foundations of math, but it basically connects everything to the foundations of math. Um, and man, I say this as a mathematician, but like some mathematicians need to get their heads out of their asses. Um, wow. It, yeah. It, a, I mean, it's that goes for every field. Yeah, it's fine. And it's gotten people to interesting places. And there's actually interesting things like Girdle's theorem is actually quite amazing. It, it truly, truly is. is. It's, it's on, on the, the level, level of like, like uh, you know, of special relativity and stuff like that. It's 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 really a, a f- amazing and fascinating thing and a genius result. But this, the stuff that got us there is annoying as hell. Um, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like I feel like there are there are uh, two Jamies inside of me, and one of them is fascinated by this stuff, and one of them is like, none of this stuff matters. Just stop thinking about it. Um, that's yeah. why. That's why we get along. <laughs> yeah, because there are yeah. two people inside of me that that have similar feelings about the things I think about. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean bringing it back to what this podcast is about like i feel like that is the central tension to me about this which is film criticism is so annoying sometimes it's it's so up in its ass about like these details that don't actually matter to watching a film and especially when it comes to like criticism of these films too. It's like, you know, make your own move, make your own damn movie. Like there are still things that it, it's still kind of a minor miracle that this thing exists, mm-hmm. that someone was able to like, you know, put, put this film into existence and you're getting upset because they use the color red way too much. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, and I know I'm being flippant here, but that's that's where I have this tension, which is like, I don't want to think about film, but I want to appreciate it. I don't want to think about film in that way where I'm annoyed by things, but I want to appreciate it on a deep level and I don't know how to get there. And so, <laughs> I don't know. I, I like... Saying, 
are you you wouldn't dare be saying that this podcast is meaningless no it's not what i mean the role that it fills is you and i talk about movies as close as i feel like two bros broing it up talking about movies can get in a somewhat formal setting right and to me i feel like that's something that's missing in the film talk sphere because i'll listen to other podcasts and i'll do things and they focus so much on breaking everything apart into meaningless detail in my opinion i mean not really like again you get to interesting things with these things uh with with breaking everything apart but it sometimes doesn't feel worth it yeah Um, that's why i stopped listening to movie podcasts a while back for that very reason because it either it started sounding increasingly reactionary in a really uninteresting political way or uh it was getting too into the weeds yeah it was a wank fest basically um and just yeah just just yesterday i actually deleted all my podcasts uh and i'm just gonna listen to music oh wow that's that that's happened before uh but i just get tired of podcasts i get tired of all the voices in my head i mean so i shut out some of them there's still voices up here though they tell me to kill (laughs) kill kill all your podcasts blake exactly (laughs) um yeah put them in the incinerator so i listen to music all day today i listened you know what i listened to today i listened to midwestern punk post-punk and post-hardcore music all day long wow bands i'd never even heard of new ones or old ones like, like 80s and 90s okay yeah like we're talking like the the most known and there's only one song and i think it was the off their very first album was the white stripes Okay. That was the most like, uh, the screaming Mimi's was one I knew about, but yeah, most of the bands I'd never heard of. And so I was like, all right, I'm good with this. This is itching. Nice. This is itching a scratch that I didn't know I needed. So, um, yeah, it was enjoyable. I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to explore music more, I think in the coming days. So nice nice and you know i guess i want to like take back some of the things that i said i know i can't do that that. but (laughs) i i again i just i know a lot of people put a lot of work into their thoughts and the thoughts they put out into the world and i do want to honor that i think people should keep doing that and keep trying but 
as with this podcast, I don't think just doing that makes things interesting. So, uh. but I also don't think it's, I don't think people know what criticism is anymore. It's just a lot of hot takes, which coming from me is real rich because I'm the king of hot takes. <laughs> but, but whenever like you're writing eight to 1200 words of nothing but hot takes, it gets old very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see that. Um, I think I was, I was reading an article in the Atlantic, in the Atlantic that was basically talking about how, um, how that's kind of ruining film criticism. <laughs> and yeah. I, I kind of agree, you know, uh, was it their film critic who uh, wrote it? I don't know. It was someone named Adam Costco. Okay. Then it, or wasn't, Co- it wasn't the film critic guy. Their film it, critic is actually, I mean, in the world of modern day film critics, he's not bad. I can't remember his name, but he's pretty good. Okay. Um, I don't, I, it was some guy that I remembered from Twitter uh, <laughs> when I was there. And I, Real, remembered that I did not like this person oh, nice. for for some of their takes. Um, so I was taking it with a grain of salt. Yeah, but um, there's really but, only one you person know, I read on the Atlantic. So, and that's 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 Brunig. Yeah, is Brunig still at the Atlantic? Yep, she is. Okay. Nice. Getting racking up those Pulitzer nominations, right and left. Wow, man! <laughs> it didn't isn't she writing a? Uh, she wrote a book, and um, it's coming out right. Oh, yeah, what is it's, it called? It's, it's just a compiled. Uh, it's a compilation of her death row writings that that nearly won her a Pulitzer. It's oh not, man, it's not I a new book. To... Like, it's not new writings. You can read them all in the Atlantic. They just put them together into a book. So, I still need to get that. Um, cause yeah, it's good shit. Then I can have them. Yeah. Yeah, no. Her, her writings about the death penalty are super inspiring. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I get chills thinking about it. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, man, I am... I'm like... I'm like in that mode where you're like tired, but you don't give a fuck. Uh, That's the best place to be. It's good. It's good. I just worry that in five minutes I'll, I'll like lose all of my gas. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's 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 how I'm feeling. Well, um, well, I feel like I feel like there's enough going on with these two movies that that once we get to the the once we get past the the opening bullshit, <laughs> I think I think you'll be invigorated by yeah. whatever slightly more interesting and thoughtful bullshit comes out afterwards. <laughs> I have so many questions written down, Blake. Oh god! So many oh, god. questions. I have, um, I have no questions written down. 
<laughs> because right. that's I don't I don't come to these podcasts prepared. <laughs> well, I don't slightly wanna... more prepared hey. this time because you 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 enlightened me to a question you were going to ask, but even then I put in very minor prep work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know what? We don't we don't have rules. So there you know there are no rules. We can start the movie talk anytime. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, let's we're we're only I mean, it's not like we're f- cutting the, B- the the intro BS by 15 minutes. I mean, big fucking deal. BFD. BFD. You know? Big friendly. Discount of 15 minutes. There you go. Less painful there. for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets to cash in on that Except discount for right your now. your wife, who thinks that it's completely fine and she's probably listening yeah. right now while she paints or tends to <laughs> hazel he was he was uh screaming about 15 minutes ago but he has calmed since yeah i heard him briefly yeah he's such a good boy uh i i love him so much he's at that stage i know we said we were gonna give people time back but we're not <laughs> Um, oh, he's at this state. Real quick, real quick, if we tell the story, a, a, a good friend of mine, Kevin Cooney, out in Boston, whoop whoop, uh, has whoop. been catching up on these episodes, and uh, oh. and he he specifically told me in an email that he was really appreciative of all the parenting talk. Uh, so, <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there, just. Slide it in. The The way you said it makes me wonder if that email said the exact opposite no. of what you just said. No. Okay. <laughs> Completely 100% serious. Any, okay. Any, okay. Any, any tone I had in my voice was, was me being... Uh, that was the other Blake that was trying to subvert the other Blake. Hmm. And, yeah, but no, this guy was was one hundred percent sincere. Well, Blake, I've never known you to lie to me twice, so uh, mm-hmm. because you doubled down, I'm okay. going to trust you. Okay. I'm going to believe you. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Even if he hates all the parenting talk, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Damn right. Uh, I'll double down. <laughs> um, well, this this goes out to you, uh, Kevin. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, my my son is just at this really, really, really amazing stage right now. So he's eight months. Uh, he'll be nine months the end of this month. Um, probably around the same time that you will have a new kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's at this stage where, you know, you know, in life when you like wake up and you think, think about, about the things, things you have to do, and there are some things, things that you look forward to, and there are some things that you don't look forward to. And the things that you look forward to really, really get you going and bring joy to your life. And maybe you see a friend that you haven't seen in a while, and you feel reinvigorated. And mm-hmm. you're like, this 
this is what life is about. Yeah. Well, my son is at the stage where he doesn't have a lot going on, but the things that he looks forward to in life are seeing mom and dad. Yeah, buddy. And they are the highlight of his life. He sees us and he just lights up and he's like, oh, I can't believe my favorite people in the whole world are here right now. <laughs> what what are, the are the odds? I can't believe I, can't I get, believe to, I get see to see them today. Them today. And, and it's, it's one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know I don't what? know how long this is going to last, really? but like. It'll last a while. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it'll, 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 sh- it'll uh, shift shapes over the years and over the months, but like even Seamus to this day, two and two years and eight months into life, he still gets excited when he sees us and he's like, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, Seamus, mommy, daddy. And you'll just... <laughs> You know, whenever we call him on FaceTime or something like that, when he's at the with the the grandparents, like he'll he'll his face will, will brighten up and yeah, it, it that's that's something that doesn't go away at least until probably middle school, high school. <laughs> yeah, once they get self aware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> I mean, but there is like an awareness too, like before this stage. I think there was just kind of like a go with the flow. And now what it is, is like, he looks forward to things in life. He like wants to do exciting things. Mm -hmm. And we're just at the top of that list because we're so lucky, I guess. Um, I mean, it makes sense. Like we care for him and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I guess I, I would hope that it means we're doing like a decent job, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Anyway, getting that good attachment. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. So that's, that is something that has been keeping me going, for example. So, amen. I can second that as well. Yeah. I, it's, it's so weird because, because while you're still like a individual person with your own like interests and, like desires and things like that you find yourself simultaneously wanting a break from your child but when that break comes you actually just end up missing them (laughs) it's the weirdest feeling in the world but yeah it's pretty cool though Mm -hmm. um yeah, we uh, this past Saturday we spent the whole day on the uh, lo- uh, nearby lake uh, on a pontoon boat Whoa. with some friends. Yeah, but it was uh, it was an adults only thing, so we left Hazel with his grandparents for the whole day, which was the first time that we both had been away, um, and yeah, we both missed him quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Were the uh, were the grandparents ready to get rid of them? You know what? There was a lot of concern going into it, mm-hmm. but 
apparently it was an amazing day. And they, he just was a joy to be around and there were no breakdowns or anything like that. So, uh, yeah. So they were really happy. Yeah. Awesome. Perfection. Everyone's happy in that world. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. We were, we were a bit stressed about it because we didn't even know if we were going to have reception on the lake. Mm -hmm. And we also knew that even if we had reception, there's not really an easy way to get back. Um, in a timely so. manner. Yeah. In a timely manner. Yeah. yeah. So. No, that makes um, sense. Yeah. So, let's transition. How Movie does talk. one transition to that? What was that? How does one transition to that? I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to ask you a question. Okay, um, beautiful. Why not? Like, like, I was watching these movies, and it's been like a week. So Same forgive here. me if I forget forget details about these movies. But uh, one of these movies takes place in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And one of the movies takes place in Missouri, mm-hmm. as as you can tell by the name. Um, but I guess as I was watching these movies, this question kept coming into my mind, and some of it's tied to the fact that that it's it's at this stage that. Both brothers seem to be embracing their inner Flannery O'Connor. Okay, yeah. I can see and that. And they, they both really kind of like... Uh, like, it, in one of these movies in particular, too, one of her books is, is front and center in one scene. So, uh, you know, it, it pops up... Um, so I had this question as I was watching this, these movies, uh, what and where is the American South? <laughs> this is the one you alerted me to. Um, yeah. I have a few others too. Yeah. I, I mean, I got my master's in history. Uh, I took a few classes on American history, but I mostly was interested in European British history. So, but I do have strong feelings about what the South is and what it isn't. Um, I do make a distinction between the South quote unquote and Southern. I would say because I come from Texas, a lot of people include Texas in quote-unquote the South. I disagree with that. I think it's actually just Southern. Now, if you go just east of Texas, you're getting into Deep South. Uh, We're talking like Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana. That's Deep South. And yeah. this is where, like, the historical understanding of the South actually kind of comes in. It's the Mason-Dixon line. 
Um, and so everything south of the Mason-Dixon line is, quote-unquote, the south. And everything north is, quote-unquote, the north. But we also have to look at the time it was divided up. Like, the full United States hadn't been incorporated at that point. So we're not, we're not understanding it. We're not seeing the Mason-Dixon line, like, all the way across the United States. <laughs> so we're, we're basically looking at, like, I don't know... Texas and up and east ish with a little yeah. bit of exploration in the west. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, one could, I guess, make a point that anything south of the Mason Dixon line, including Texas, is the south. I would disagree. Um, but case could be made for it. Um, I think the deep south is very much like Georgia, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, <clears throat> like those states up to the Sure, sure. yeah. So, yeah, that's my answer. All right. Would you, because there also seems to be a distinction between, um, geographical south which is yeah. what you're talking about with with texas so you definitely wouldn't include like new mexico or yeah. arizona in those and i okay. wouldn't actually missouri is weird because i'm not sure you could really count it as south. sure sure because it it there's missouri kind of like kansas has a very conflicted they were kind of a, a middle state in a lot of ways, uh, mm-hmm. during the civil war. And so, um, yeah, I'm not sure you could actually say that either of these films, at least in my opinion, take place in the quote unquote South. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I definitely get the feeling at least for three billboards outside Abbey in Missouri mm-hmm. that, they're going for the spirit of the South oh, in yeah. that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. And and the reason why I kind of feel like uh, War on Everything is almost Southern adjacent actually has to do, has to do with um, the movie Raising Arizona, <laughs> um, which to me is, is so funny because it's this example of, uh, a, a southern film like it's a it's about the spirit of the south mm-hmm. like they are southern characters in that movie but it takes place in arizona and they pull it off really well like it you know it feels i don't know there's like this this looney tunes nature to it that kind of brings everything to this like you know I don't know. I don't know what it is about Looney Tunes, but Looney Tunes feels Southern to me. I mean, maybe it's all just Foghorn Leghorn, but, uh, but you know, I could see you have that. that. Yeah, I could see that. But, but yeah, I was thinking, well, if Arizona, you know, could be uh, alluded to as the South, I guess New Mexico can. And then I was, I was thinking about like, you know, kind of modern day South, america and that kind of makes me think of like south of the border or 
you know, close to the border. And yeah. so, you know, you could include things like that. And there's like, a, you know, there's a little bit of a cowboy thing um, related to that. So you have you have almost other southern spirits, you mm-hmm. know, popping up in these things. But um, but but definitely three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri has this the spirit of the south um, vibe to it. And I think I think one thing that strikes me about these movies is how these filmmakers can get these facts so wrong, like about where the South is yeah. and what, you know, wh- you know, where it is and still make a compelling movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but so on top of that, I would say that <clears throat> a lot of the confusion around specifically Ebbing, Missouri, but also probably those who did see War on Everybody, or war, I keep wanting to say War on Everybody, War on Everyone, um, the Irish directors are not going to see the conflicts in our country the same way that we do. <laughs> um, because as someone who has studied the British and the Irish and, and to some extent the Scottish and Welsh, um, they see class first before they see race or gender or yes they see race and gender of course they're very important but but class is very much key (laughs) to their to their their view of of you know society and history and whatnot um and so going into their films you they can be found to be somewhat offensive because they're not striking at the same like things that Americans expect for a modern movie to strike at. They're, mm-hmm. they're interested in other things. Um, and But they're also smart enough to know that, that I think they're intentionally being provocative yeah by utilizing those things that they know american audiences will maybe cringe or uh be offended by or or whatever in order to get at their points now whether or not they make those points effectively that's something we can talk about but i think that's what they're doing is they're getting at issue bigger issues than the ones we tend to be concerned with in the good old U.S. Um, well, but, maybe not bigger, but definitely different issues. Oh, different, too. yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. no, no bigger, I, too. No, I, <laughs> I, I... I thought it was so interesting, and I have it kind of written down just as, as, as a note, that these... Both of these movies kind of... Um, it, 
are examples of mythologies and myths from people who didn't grow up in those myths, right? I mean, maybe to a certain extent, like, especially with War on Everyone, um, you know, it's it's essentially a cop fantasy, yeah. and we we can get into that. And I kept I kept thinking about how American film really took over the world, right? Like, I mean, there's other there's other countries that make good film, but like mm-hmm. Hollywood, Hollywood spread the message of America and the message of you know of of what a movie is more effectively than anything else Mm -hmm. and so to 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 completely completely say that that you know these filmmakers didn't live under those myths is probably false even though these cops you know supposedly live in america like um you know I, i i just thought that was that was interesting um just the idea of of other people coming in and trying to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting if you look at kind of the, the hubbub about these movies, specifically Ebbing, Missouri, how offended we get when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which is, I you know, it made me kind of wonder... I wonder how uh, the Irish feel about Hollywood kind of setting the tone for everything. Um, well, I don't. I don't pretend to know that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I would assume not. Not great. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I just. I. I do kind of wonder if it's kind of rich for us to. Uh, us to kind of get offended at other people telling our stories. Yeah. Maybe incompletely or or you know kind of weird or different or Mm -hmm. wrong in some cases when um we we definitely don't don't take the precautions to do that with any other country in the world so not at all not only that but we have a long history of of a bunch of uh people white people playing non-white roles i mean it's Kind of a thing. <laughs> um, so maybe first off, uh, knowing the potential traps we're about to step into <laughs> with this discussion because of the multitudes of ways in which these films trigger <laughs> discussion yeah. of really tough topics. Um did you like these films? Yeah, I I like these films. I do. And actually I I made sure ahead of time to do my my ranking of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I think Three Billboards is a fantastic film. Um I'm not sure it's a perfect film and I'm not oh. sure it um it lands every note, but um, but it's a it's a very good movie, and it um, you know it swings for the fences 
Mm-hmm. So it does. I I really appreciate that. You know, one thing about both of these movies is I just love how much the McDonough brothers don't feel like they have anyone else telling them what needs to be put in their movies. Uh, I think that this is a rare thing. It's getting more rare as we go into the future. And I just feel like we have to treasure, (laughs) treasure the, the filmmakers who can put something out there like that. So, um, War and Everything is an interesting film because, spoiler alert, this is probably the weakest film that we've seen uh, <laughs> yeah, in this bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, I enjoyed it still. Oh, yeah. Um, I enjoy every Michael Pena role. I think he's great. He, he, he was great. He was so good. And, and it's um, not the first time he's played a racist cop. Yeah. He played it in uh, the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, the serious End one. of Watch. Yeah, yeah. End of Watch. <laughs> I remember liking that movie, too. I did, too, yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. It is, it's so interesting. Maybe we should talk about this just an aside. It's really interesting how easy it is to make a compelling cop movie but everybody hates cops. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm conflicted too, because, you know, I, I, tomorrow I could say a cab, you know, because I'm just feeling kind of negatively about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certain power structures that I think are, are uh, way out of whack. But, I still get down with these cop shows, cop movies, you know, um, copaganda, well, as they say. I mean, I, I feel like War on Everyone and The Guard are of a similar piece, though. Cause, Absolutely. Because he's, he's dealing with bad cops. They're not just bad people, but they're not necessarily good at their jobs either (laughs) and so so they're but they still end up defeating the bad guy even though they're shitty at their job (laughs) yeah yeah i i think i think the guard is maybe i don't even want to say more believable because I don't think that's the right word. I think it's more effective. Uh, it's yes, yeah. maybe more effective. And and I wanted to get into this because that is a very like uh, watching it so close to the guard, so close to the time that I watched the guard. I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Because when I first watched this movie, I was like, John Michael McDonough, what are you? Where the fuck did this come from? (laughs) But watching it again after I watched The Guard, I was like, oh, this fits. Like, you, yeah, yeah, you you clearly, like, were affected by these cop fantasies, like, in your mind. And you you just are excited to make these things because they're fun. Yeah. Um, But, But yeah, and I was was thinking, thinking, I was thinking, thinking, like, like, why why is The Guard a better movie? 
um, than war on everyone. Um, and I, I guess I have a few thoughts, but um, if you have anything, you can chime in too. Um, I'm not sure I have a, a, a really good answer for that. So if you got something to go off of, I can maybe riff off of it. Sure. I, I mean, the one... The one thing that I I have is like Michael Pena is like his own character. Yeah. He he's he's singular in in the movie. I don't think he has a good counterpart in The Guard. Yeah. Um <clears throat> him and his wife are just like beyond intelligent. They're like <laughs> Like, if you've ever seen Gilmore Girls and you're like, how are these people who live in this, you know, this podunk town this smart? Yeah. That's Michael Pena and his wife mm -hmm. are, are that level of, you know, intelligent. It's it's really kind of funny. Um, and it's it's used for humor, too. Um, but um, the other actor who plays Michael Pena's, you know, other half, not his wife, the his other easily, half in the cop world. Easily the, is, the weakest of the Scars guards. Yes. <laughs> weakest in acting ability. Strongest in looks. Yes. Um, yes. Alexander Skarsgård, what he lacks in acting ability, he makes up for in looks. However, he is no Brendan Gleeson. No. And this... This, I think, is the weak link because this and the fact that, like, the movie's pacing is so kinetic. It's yeah. so go, go, go. There's very few, like, there's very few scenes that kind of breathe and fill you with with a sense of, you know, what's what's really going on, what's kind of getting at what's what's behind these these characters yeah. and you can tell that that Skarsgård's character you know he's supposed to be kind of a sad boy there's supposed to be some hurt in him but that's not really developed in the same way that in the guard you have him and his mom yeah. and you see the love for his mom and i think i think that's where the guard becomes a more effective movie well uh, there's no warmth in Alexander Skarsgård's character, whereas there's spades of warmth in anything Brendan Gleeson plays. Absolutely. <laughs> he just Absolutely. exudes warmth, <laughs> even yeah. when he's playing a horrible person. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I don't mean to be so hard on alexander skarsgård because I think he does a perfectly fine job with what he's given but yeah and and he you know he's good with with michael pia and they're they're good together and they have a lot of you know banter that's that's interesting um but uh but yeah he's he the character and him just aren't as as interesting as as brendan gleason's yeah. character in the guard so and Whenever Paul Reiser can steal a scene, you might be doing something wrong. 
Yeah, I, I had, had forgotten, forgotten that, that Paul Reiser. I had forgotten was it too. In this. I did not remember. Yeah, that. and I'm I'm kind of surprised that he was in this. Like, yeah, just knowing how like how many minefields that movie has. <laughs> That's true. I mean, um, I could say and, the same for Tessa Thompson too. Um, that one that one surprised me as yeah. well. Although this was this was like one of her first. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of bigger vehicles, and so, you know, I think I think you get this a lot with with big stars. Where, well, not in Paul Reiser's case. In Paul Reiser's case, he's in the twilight of his career. Yeah. But like, but I do think you get that in some cases where um, where some big stars will be maybe a little more experimental at the beginning yeah. and stuff. But um, but, but yeah. yeah uh, there were some really laugh out loud moments in this movie, though. Yes. I mean the whole the whole doing crack in the bathroom with what's the guy's name? They're, they're oh, informant. I don't. I can't remember his name. But whenever they hear the cop sirens, and they're like, "Oh crap!" and then they realize that they're cops, and they start laughing. <laughs> I love that whole scene. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, no, that scene is really good. Uh, it's it's Reggie, their Reggie. informant. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, both here and I busted up laughing when they find Reggie in Iceland. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah. this is. <laughs> you know one of the one of the like the unbelievable things about this movie is that they could just you know they have they're trying to get a bunch of money they're trying to like score a bunch of money but they also have infinite money to kind of do things they can fly to iceland you know anytime they want again cop fantasy um and so they're looking for their informant reggie who is is a black man and they fly to Iceland, and at one point, Alexander Skarsgård is like, so what's our plan to find Reggie? And Michael Pena is like, well, he's in Iceland. We know that, right? So we're just going to sit around until, he, you know, until we see him. And then Alexander Skarsgård is like, that's not much of a plan. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, how many how many black people can there be in Iceland? And then Alexander Skarsgård's like, I don't know. This really doesn't. And as he's, like, pushing back, Michael Pena's like, oh, there he is. And he just shows up. <laughs> and just the kinetic energy of that uh, is really, really funny. So, uh, but... Uh, yeah, there's some very darkly humorous oh, it's, it's, moments in this film. I mean, so the, the, the closest thing, <clears throat> let's put it this way. There are still comedians out there that I, that say really, really offensive shit and have not, have somehow avoided general cancellation <laughs> like for instance bill burr 
and I view this film as the Bill Burr of films. <laughs> I feel yeah. like they go to all the places. <laughs> like, all the places. <laughs> and they make fun of all the things. And in the most, like... Not careful ways. <laughs> And and this yet and yet I have not heard a single person who has seen this be all that worked up about it. <laughs> so. Not o- not only that, but you know, both this movie and Three Billboards are essentially about you know, focus on, on cops. And this is kind of around the time that, um, we started seeing mm-hmm. really high profile cops doing shitty things. Mm-hmm. And we started kind of realizing how the cop system is built to protect them from any sort of, any sort of, you know, um, uh, accountability towards this and that had led to and still continues to lead to bad people being protected by mm-hmm. these systems and specifically war on everyone that's who the these are the bad people yeah, like the exactly. main characters they're they're the bad people you know the movie does does the the narrative trick where it's like, okay, these are bad people, but we're going to make the other people worse. Uh, we're going to make them pedophiles. <laughs> yes, and then you're because, like, oh, okay. Because then what, we can have there's the, nothing worse than pedophiles. <laughs> there's nothing worse than pedophiles. And, you know, I, part of me, again, just kind of wonders if John Michael McDonough was like, I just want to make, not that this is an easy film, but like, you know, I don't want to do a lot of brain work. You know, he's coming <laughs> off of Calvary and he's like, I just want to like put some jokes together and, um, and, and let them fly. And, uh, yeah. So, but I mean, man, there's some jokes in here, man. <laughs> some jokes. I was there. like, Oh, <laughs> Wow. Okay. Okay. So jokes. That's what works about this movie. Yes. What, what doesn't work about this movie, Blake? Uh, (laughs) Um, I got, I'm like, I, I honestly got a little bored by about three quarters of the way in. I was like, okay. Like, frenetic, frenetic, frenetic. Now I'm just tired and bored. Get to the end. <laughs> so, um, I think, I, I think to use a crude analogy, it shot its load too soon. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, and by the end, I was like, okay, well, that was perfectly fine. Uh... I, I got a good, I got some enjoyment out of it. I, I thought it was funny and, and whatnot. 
but it's definitely the weakest of all the films we've seen <laughs> by by a good by a good portion. Um, yeah, and yeah, I I don't think it had a central enough thematic push for me to be carried all the way through the the movie. Like there wasn't something I could hang my hat on by the end of it. Um, it felt a little bit like cotton candy. Uh, it's kind of sweet yeah. in the moment, but then it kind of disappears. Um, and I honestly didn't think about it much in the last week. So, um, which is not the case with three three billboards. Um, I I think about that film quite often, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, it didn't I think... really it didn't really stick with me. Uh, it, it it was too frenetic, uh, without much character work, and yeah, it just felt like a lot of jokes, and that's fine for you know an hour and a half of entertainment. It works. So how yeah, about you? I think I think what you mentioned there is maybe originally when I watched it, what felt so out of place was the frenetic energy of it, mm -hmm. which is just, it's just go, go, go. The pacing is go, go, go. And that felt so weird coming from Calvary, mm -hmm. which is a very, very slow and intentional film. Um, the pacing is, the pacing is, particularly metered out like it, mm -hmm. it you know it there's there's breaks by the day and things like that so um this this definitely feels like the opposite of that and yeah it 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 has the ironic uh, consequence of getting being kind of boring you know once 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 you're like okay okay yeah. that's funny you know um, you get on the wavelength, and then you're like, oh, that's all there is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? At, I, It just seems like that's the movie he wanted to make, too. Like, I don't think, I don't think he failed at what he was trying to do. Oh, but, right. yeah, it's just, it's just a light thing. And if nothing else, I got to watch Michael Pena for an hour and a half. So, yeah, yeah. Which is always a joy. <laughs> always, always a joy. <laughs> All right, so uh, so three billboards. Uh, you mean billboards? Billboards. Uh, <laughs> I should make a movie called Three Billboards outside of Webbing, Missouri, and it's about like three Borgs named Bill outside of a town called Webbing in Missouri. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a plan. Um, any of you studio people listening, feel free to give me a call. We can ride off of the uh, the controversy of this film. Um, yeah. Not only are we are we podcast makers, we're also filmmakers. Yes. Um, if if you no, give us enough money. Not filmmakers. Film idea makers. Filmmaking like, takes too much effort. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. 
if you could point an iPhone at something, you're a filmmaker. Yeah, but I don't even know what mise-en-scene means. So, and I used to write film reviews. So. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter. We'll just make our own definitions. Beautiful. I mean, we are the field recording of movie podcasts. The, f- the field recording of movie podcast. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, Three Billboards. Um, I love this film when I first saw it. Um, and apparently everyone who originally saw it at Con, I think it was, loved it. Uh, and then something happened upon its release in its mainstream release in America and it took a dive in popularity um, and I don't remember exactly sp- the specifics around the controversy with it um, I, I have vague recollection of it getting uh, accused of <clears throat> downplaying black characters or being uh too positive towards the sam rockwell character and his redemptive turn if you could call it that (laughs) um but i don't remember much else like i just remember that there was a fury over it and it kind of kind of put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths after a while with this film. Um, I remember I wrote a piece on it. Uh, I was one of the few people that remained a fan of it at the time. Um, and it didn't get read very widely for obvious reasons. So, uh, do you remember anything about this movie? Like, do you, did you see this when it first came out? I did. I did. Um, I was, I was a pretty big fan of Martin McDonough at that time. So I was definitely going to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember it actually being pretty popular with like the critics and also uh, the audiences. And I don't remember it really getting the pushback until it was picking up steam for the Academy Awards. Gotcha. Maybe that's what it was. And you know what? I think, I think, like, both you and I remember that there was a, a, you know, there was a lot of negativity about this film at one point. But I was looking at the, I was looking at the IMDb score, which is, you know, a catalyst for how general people think about this Mm -hmm. movie. You know, it's a user score or whatever. And it's, it's... Uh, Martin McDonough's highest, I think. I don't. I don't know. It's it's pretty high. Um, it's higher than his most recent film. Um, so I that actually makes sense. I, to be honest, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think maybe this is aging better um, than it it seemed at first, but. I, would I don't know. S- would you say that this is, is his most accessible film? Uh, accessible? Mm-hmm. 
I'd say it's either Pro- this or in Bruges, but I would say that it was probably this. Probably. I think I kind of feel like Seven Psychopaths was the movie that he thought was going to be his most accessible one. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, a, it's a pretty Im- impenetrable wall. Yeah. Um, but it did have, you know, the most star power. Well, I guess this has some star power. Um, no, I didn't this say, actually I ne- shares. I never heard of any of these people before I watched it. <laughs> this shares a lot of characters with that movie. Uh, you have um, Woody Harrelson. Yep. You have uh, Woody Harrelson's wife, um, Abby um, Cornish, mm-hmm. who I learned is a rapper named Dusk. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. Have you listened? Uh, that seems like it might be the cultural appropriation. Dusk? <laughs> I don't know. No. I don't know. Maybe... A white... Is she Welsh? She's Australian. Oh. A white Australian doing rap? Doesn't that count as cultural appropriation? I don't know. I think you should ask... Uh, uh, dusk not isn't it iggy azalea no who who is yeah it's iggy azalea azalea banks is the other yeah i get them mixed up well and especially Uh, got really confusing whenever they got on the twitter war with each other yeah do you you think think they got got on the the twitter Twitter war because of their names the similarity Yeah. yeah i mean i think it's fair I think it's a fair concern to get into Twitter wars with people who share similarities of your name. Yeah. <clears throat> that's why that's why you and I get along so well yeah. because we don't share similarities and we never got into a Twitter war. That's right. That's right. And let's be honest. You didn't tweet all that much. <laughs> nope. I tweeted way too much at the height of my Twitter use. I just, I overthink my words way too much when I write them out into the world. And so I couldn't bring myself to post anything. The irony is that, like, it didn't help or hurt the quality of what I was writing. Mm -hmm. So I should have just posted more, I guess, if I wanted that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But, but, you know, I was, I was constantly in my head about things, so I just tweeted jokes. And they were great. I especially, no one... I especially appreciate your sliding into the DMs joke. I don't even remember that one. Oh, you said man. something about sliding in, you, she slid, like, he slid into your DMs and fell and cracked his head on the floor and was bleeding out everywhere something something call the ambulance i i don't remember it was so it was in that same vein and i thought it was hilarious oh man i wish i could remember because yeah i i yeah those were the days anyway yeah so so uh 
there were Australian rappers in this movie. Um, Sam Rockwell is in this Sam movie. Rockwell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anyone else that was? No, Caleb Landry Jones was in Seven Psychopaths. No, but Caleb Landry Jones was in War on Everyone. Yes, he was. And I, and I didn't want to bring him up because I knew we were going to talk about him here. Yeah, but he's uh, a he's a fascinating actor, specifically dude, for the I, roles he plays. I am I am a a full blooded Caleb Landry Jones. I think he's fan. good. He's really good. Um. And he's he tends to be one of the standouts in most of the movies he's in. Um, I remember the first time I knew of him was Get Out. Um, oh yeah, and and I was wowed by that performance. And then I would I started seeing him everywhere. I think actually it was this movie where I was like, oh, he's gonna be in this one that makes me want to see it more. Um, and so, yeah, he's great. And he, he plays, uh, man, his characters are often indescribable. (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're pretty indescribable. Actually, like, what's interesting is, he he steals the scenes that he's in in this movie, but he's so much more subdued than he normally is yes. too in yeah. this film, which is uh, kind of bizarre. He like and and if you watch both of these movies, if you watch War and Everyone, you see kind of that range of how flamboyant he can be. Yeah, um, in War on Everything, and then. Um, he is a, a lot more measured in this one. Yes. Um, yeah. He's very he's very subtle. Yeah. Which uh, I have I have written down a note. Caleb Landry Jones is greater than Barry Keough. <laughs> um, because I think of these actors as kind of Feeling similar uh, vibes, uh, but yeah, I think I think I land on the, the Caleb Landry Jones, and both of them have been in uh, McDonough Brothers movies. So yeah, yeah, we haven't gotten to the to the Barry Keough, uh, yeah, role yet. That'll be next, but yeah, I, I I would agree. I think Caleb Landry Jones is easily the stronger of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think he has more range, whereas, like, I've enjoyed things that Barry Keough has done, but, like, it's mostly just kind of the same twitchy role, you yeah. know? And it fits in some movies. Like, uh, he's in the the Green Knight, and he's great in that. Um, he's in the Sacred and... Killing of, where the Killing of the Sacred Deer, or whatever it is. Yeah. And he's he's effective. That one. Yeah. Yeah, effective in that. So you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but yeah, I. But let's, I let's kind be, of... but let's be honest. I mean, you, if you think about actors who, on, um, if you kind of put a detached 
take on them. They play a similar role in all their films. Which one would you rather watch? Barry Keough or Tom Hardy? <laughs> uh, Tom Hardy. I mean... Hands down. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hardy. I don't know how uh, he does it, but that man has range without having any range. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess there's Tom Hardy roles, and then there's Bane. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is Bane feels like someone trying to do Tom Hardy in a movie, uh, but like a a weird yeah. bastardized version. Yeah, yeah. Ah. <sighs> Anyways, sorry I'm getting us off topic. No, no, we were we that's what we do, man. That's what we do. Um but, but yeah, yeah Caleb, Caleb Landry Jones, Jones he so we're introduced, introduced to him because So maybe uh this movie has a little more going on than War on Everyone. Yeah. Um which we didn't explain the story behind War on Everyone. That's because you I'm, don't need I, to I don't really think there is a story to explain. <laughs> It yeah, it's cops versus pedophiles. Yeah. That's that's what you need to know. Um, this movie has has a little more on its mind. has has a more interesting story. Um, so this movie it is about if you have never heard of it, it's about this woman played by Frances McDormand. Uh, who her daughter was very recently within the year raped and murdered raped uh, while dying while dying according to the billboard yeah and um it i realized watching it that it's actually very close to her house so it was only like i don't know 300 yards away or so Mm -hmm. and um and, you know, more develops into, like, you know, why this happened or, you know, you know, the circumstances around how this happened and stuff. But you kind of start the film very, uh, I don't know, six months later, and she goes by this place, she sees these billboards, and she gets this idea. And then she goes to see our very own Caleb Landry Jones, who uh, runs the billboard business in town, Mm -hmm. and she rents them, and they are three billboards, and I'm trying to remember exactly what they say. Do you remember the in order? Not in order, no. Um... Oh, I remember the first one says uh calls out the the sheriff right i thought that was the last one no it's the last one you see because how it's introduced is that's right sam rockwell is driving up he sees people putting up a billboard and it i think the the first one says like, um, 
Oh, man, I'm I'm biffing this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, I think it. But I think yeah. it. Um, does, does the first, the first one say raped while dying? dying? Or, or no, I think it said something it just, to the effect of like it's been eight months or something like that. Or oh, man, yeah, yeah. How, how much? How much longer? longer? And then, and the, then second the second one, one says, says rape while, while dying. dying. And and, um, and then like, say like why chief will will be or, or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, the, then the then first, the first one, one calls out, out Chief, Chief Willoughby, Willoughby, Willoughby by name, by name. Yeah. and and, um, and that's, that's that starts, starts kind of a firestorm fire across the town, the town mm-hmm. because, it's because it's basically, basically like, like you know you know it's it's, it's, it's putting, putting shame, shame on, on all of, all these, of cops, these cops, you know, you know. So, so. And that's all you need to know about that movie. Go out and watch it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go out and watch it, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I... Man, so the the part of the movie that really just continues to come to mind often is her speech to the priest, which I find so humorous because this is another example of, I feel like, the the two brothers having conversations with each other in their movies sure because she's talking to a priest about pedophiles and uh right after this is his next movie after his brother released calvary which is about Mm -hmm. a priest taking on the debt of his fellow priests actions and so (laughs) And she basically says to the effect of, like, <clears throat> I read this thing about Crips and Bloods and how the cops cr- started to crack down on them is if you had any connection to them whatsoever uh, and you were anywhere near a crime committed by either the ga- any of the gang members, you were held liable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all this stuff, and... And she basically says, so she ties it to the priesthood, says, like, like, you've joined the gang. You wear the you you wear the colors. Um, You're just as liable as the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she's making a point about, you know, cops and like what we would call systemic injustice. You know, the idea that like you can't just say. You can't you can't choose to point out an individual as being the exception to the rule in certain circumstances and and then avoid it in other circumstances. You have to be consistent and say, well, no, just because this one cop is good, it doesn't mean negate the fact that the system is broken. Um, and so that that whole speech just gets me every single time whenever i hear it i'm like damn and the way she delivers it it's just like that whole like fuck you attitude that francis only francis mcdormand can do <laughs> yeah <laughs> well especially because yeah the priest comes in to kind of like 
shame her yeah. for having these billboards up mm-hmm. um, because you know you know one thing that's that's undeniably true is that this chief Willoughby character is a good man yeah. like mm-hmm. and the the movie takes great pains to paint him as just really you know a a wonderful wonderful character um but a potty mouth but a wonderful character nonetheless (laughs) sure and he's he's a potty mouth even around his uh his daughters exactly um but you know i think i think he's one of the more interesting characters because there's there's still a finiteness about this person and um he's not perfect and it's not for lack of trying too yeah and i think i think too i think about like you know attitudes towards cops and how how we have such a strange strange like glorification of of cop culture and things like that um you know we do this for for military we do this for anyone that kind of carries a gun and carries like a forceful item you know we we like to kind of put them on pedestals and um talk about that whether or not it's actually more dangerous to be in that position than other positions um we like to kind of create these myths and you know i think you get this with this town like kind of piggybacking on what you're what you were saying this this um this priest kind of comes in and tries to like tell her this myth that the the chief of police is a good man you know he's He's, um, he's this savior of the town almost and everyone who, you know, knows him, loves him. And the thing is like, she knows, she sees through that and Chief Willoughby sees through that too. He knows that he's not that way. He knows that he can't live up to that. And even more, she knows he's a good man. Like, yeah. She has no doubt that he's a good man, but that's not the yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the point is that for whatever reason, the system has not brought any sort of justice to her daughter. And Chief Willoughby has taken upon himself the mantle of the system. And he is the, you know... The line that sticks with me is like, well, he's he's the leader. The buck stops with him, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think about that a lot. And I think about how, yeah, I think I think in a lot of like leadership roles, we have this this skewed sense of like, oh, that means they get to be king. And I think, no, it means that anything that goes wrong, they have to have an answer for that. Yep. You know. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and I think this movie has really kind of stuck with me in that way. Like, I, I think about that line a lot. Um, when I even so. think about that, because in a in another way, the, the another part that's, that's, that has stuck with me is that it's, it's a really strange moment of tenderness between uh, Francis McDormand and... Uh, and him whenever he coughs up blood and he coughs on her face and and you hear in her voice like oh dear oh oh baby oh baby like mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like going to get him something to like to to wipe his face and and like in it's very clear that that she's not seeing him as as an other mm-hmm. like, she clearly cares for the man on a very human level, um, which makes the story of her choice to put the billboards up and to pinpoint him even more fascinating. Uh, yeah. And it shows, we find out towards the end, that someone mysteriously pays for another month of for the billboards to remain up. It's a secret person. No one knows who it is. And she finds out from the letter he writes that he paid the the next month. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, he clearly understands what she's doing. Like, he, he gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, that's that's the thing that I think that keeps me coming back to this movie is, is the understanding that those two share. Like, yeah. there's no ill will towards towards the other. Like, yeah, of course he's frustrated by it because that's his role. He He's the one who has to answer. Like you said, the buck stops with him. Uh, he has to have yeah. an answer. And so, it turns up the heat on yeah. the town, you know, and it, exactly. it's not it's not exactly a great look. And it's it's, you know, he is dying yeah. and yeah. it's the yeah. last thing that he wants on his mind, yeah. too. And I, and part of me thinks it's the last thing she really wants to do, but she's got no other options. Like, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, it's man, the the parallel between this movie and and Calvary too. Yeah. Just in the whole, like it's spelled out at the beginning of Calvary, like why would I kill a bad priest? Yeah. That's not going to get anyone's attention. Mm-hmm. I need to kill a good priest, and then people are going to talk about it. Yeah. And Frances McDormand isn't going to kill anyone. She's not trying to kill Chief Willoughby, but she knows that he's a good man, and that's exactly who she wants to put the heat on. Yep. Because that's what ruffles people's feathers mm-hmm. and that's 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 what causes change is is i guess what both of these brothers are saying is that if you want change you have to kill something good um, <laughs> would you uh man. would you say that that has a <coughs> religious overtones 
I don't know. I feel like that's the most Christian thing that that has come out of my mouth in a really long time. So, uh, so yeah, I would definitely say that both of these guys uh, can't get the Bible out of their head, specifically the gospel. And specifically because they're Irish. I mean, their whole country yeah. has been brought to its knees because of religion. Like, <laughs> because yeah. of... Of a division in, in the Christian religion. like, and, and admittedly, you can make a point that it's actually not about the religious beliefs. It's actually political. And you wouldn't be wrong. But it's still there. Like, the distinction yeah. is still there. <laughs> and the whole country is, or the whole, both countries are steeped in their religious belief. I mean, it's it's everywhere like even those who don't believe still <laughs> hold to a lot of the same traditions that that were sure brought due to christianization so um it's very much on the mind whether it's conscious or not <laughs> yeah 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 i perhaps this is this is a good because uh, I feel like we've we've given uh, through three billboards uh, a little bit of a an easy go of it uh, what's your sure. thoughts on the Sam Rockwell character <laughs> my thoughts on the Sam Rockwell character I think he is. I I like him. I don't necessarily like his resolution. Yeah. It felt and, a little easy. Uh, yeah. I I think there I actually um watching it this time I had a lot of sympathy for his character because I get, you know, growing up in a rural area, you you know people like this who aren't smart, right? And I'm not just talking like, you know, they're not geniuses or, you know, whatever. Like, you and I, we went to college. We got, uh, got uh, the degrees higher than bachelors. Like, we are smart people like whatever that means in in a class sense yeah there are people that don't ever kind of attain that and those people are plentiful like mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times script writers don't include those people in their stories or they include caricatures of them Mm -hmm. um like you know for example going back to war on everyone the you know the cop and his wife are just friggin geniuses you know mm -hmm. uh for for whatever reason like you know i think it's so easy for these very very intelligent film writers to just slip into this mode where everyone is like someone that they would want to spend time with yeah 
Sam Rockwell's character starts out really not like that. <laughs> he is, you know, he, you don't know if he's graduated uh, high school and you, you know, he lives with his mom and he's happy doing that. But you could tell, like, he, you know, at one point he wants to be a detective, but he will never make it to that level. Like, maybe. And Chief Willoughby has some sort of faith in him that, that he could do that. But, but you know, the, the chips are stacked against him to even, you know, maintain his job. You know the chips and, and, and the lack, complete lack of opportunities afforded him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and I think I think I think the ending and the resolution is a bit too easy. Yeah, and it doesn't ring it doesn't ring true to the character that they've built because he. he basically kind of gains five points of intelligence just out of the air. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's to me kind of one of the big weaknesses of the film. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And, and I don't, I remember this being not an issue for me the first time I, the first couple of times I watched it. I think I'll actually went to see this one twice in the theaters. Um, and this time around when I watched it, it this felt that that character felt <clears throat> that whole storyline felt a little bit um, maybe not on the nose, but it didn't feel honest in the way it needed to be. Like the the whole storyline between, um, you know, Chief Will Willoughby and, and Francis McDormand rang true through the whole film. Like that, nothing in that made me question scripting or characterization or anything like that. But the second that he gets the letter from Chief Willoughby uh, and he gets uh, tossed off the police force, from that point on, like I'm like, eh. Like you said, he it does seem like he all, all of a sudden gains like detective powers, <laughs> and you're like, would he have actually really cared, or would he have just gone home and spent the rest of his life drinking beer on out on the porch with his incredibly racist mom? <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe, maybe with, with um, you know, maybe with some more adversity in the story you know (laughs) a little more work you could have made it believable you could have made a believable turn somehow but uh but yeah yeah, it'd be put through the ringer a little bit more than what he was you know like in different ways like violence wasn't they wasn't gonna do anything to him (laughs) so i i I do do want to shout out uh Who's his mom played by? Uh, the is it Charlie's mother? Charlie's mother. It's and, Mac. Uh, it's Max. It's Max's mom. mother. Yeah, mom, and uh, and it's always yeah. sunny. I remember 
loving that choice because yeah. no one can play that part better. Yeah. She essentially plays the same role again as Max mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet Mac feels ultimately more believable to me than Sam Rockwell's character by the end of the film. <laughs> well, to be fair, the crew of It's Always Sunny took, what, 13 years yeah. to develop yeah. Mac out <laughs> out of the closet, finally, yeah, exactly. um, in yeah. a very spectacular and, you know, and wonderful way. Yeah. But, uh, but it took, you know, they, they definitely took their time oh, and did. allowed for it. So, yes, they um, did. yeah. Yeah. I, uh, but, yeah, I really like this film. Even with that yeah. caveat, I think there's more, there, there's enough going on here that, that one minor character, Failure is 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 pretty easy to forgive, so. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a I think it's a fine film, and um, there's a lot to dig into in it too. So, I I give it, you know. I give it uh, one one thumb because I've lost the other one. Oh shit. That's a that's a forward promo for the wow. next episode. <laughs> so, do you have any more to say about either of these films? Because I guess we should get to the ranking. I think I'm I think I'm good. Uh, both of these movies are worth your time. All all of these movies are worth your time. Yeah, yeah um, you know you can't. Go I would wrong say with any of them. You can you can you can get better than War on Everyone. Yeah. yeah, if if you skip one, skip low. So yeah, exactly. But at the same time, don't. Michael Pena, man. It it fits really. It actually does fit really well with the guard, and it doesn't seem as out of place as it at once did. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So, Jameson. How do these uh the fa- these fare in your your op- ultimate rankings? Okay, so we have six movies right mm-hmm. that we watched. Uh, so I'm gonna start with number six. Um, should be no surprise if you've listened to any of the minutes leading up to this moment in this episode. But I'm gonna have War on Everyone it at number six. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put it at number nine. Okay. I need a little bit of space between it and and my my number five. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my number five is Seven Psychos, Seven Psychopaths. Okay. Yeah. My number four is In Bruges. Okay. My number three is The Guard. Okay. My number two is Three Billboards. For now, I think I had difficulty deciding which was my number two and which was my number three. So that might the fair enough. Those might switch next time. Who knows? Yeah. And then my number one 
is Calvary. Which is no surprise. I think you and I are both going to have the bottom and the top the same. I, I don't. I, I would be surprised if that changes. But it's a John Michael McDonough sandwich. It really is. Um, I'm going to say pretty much the same thing. Except I'm going to continue to switch out in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Um, because I still think I like Seven Psychopaths just slightly better than in Bruges. Uh, and like you, it could very easily switch between three billboards and the guard because this last viewing of the guard really promoted it for me. I really like that film <laughs> a lot. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think we're in a, we're pretty much in agreement on the whole. So, um, I'm really curious about this final week because, uh, I feel like John Michael's getting back to the pacing that we're used to, uh, and, uh, and our, our boy, uh, Martin is getting back to his, uh, I don't know, his playwright uh, roots. So, yeah, uh, I'm more curious to see if we can make heads or tails of Banshees next week. Um, well, not not I, next week, right? The next or the next time, the next episode that we do these. Yes. Yeah. Which. Who knows, depending on the birth, maybe a bit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm also curious if we make that, uh, get to make that episode before the birth. Yes, the birth. Um, I think we can make heads and tails of Forgiven. Um, but I'm intrigued by Banshees, because I still don't know what to make of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, well, I've, I've watched it twice now. I need to watch it I one have more it, time. Yeah, so. I need to watch, um, I'm excited to watch The Forgiven again. Um, and The, the Forgiven, Forgiven, man, that is a true flyby film. No one has, no, one, I think truly even, no one has seen it. <laughs> I think even fewer people have seen that than War on Everyone. Uh, which is a damn shame. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's a god dang shame. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, we'll be... Yeah, I'm also interested to revisit and talk about those. So um, yeah. I think that's going to be in, I don't know, maybe beginning of September. Well, if we wait till the beginning of September, um, you you might be busy. It's, so I mean, I am taking three weeks off. So yeah, I might have some free time in between screaming child. <laughs> we'll so. we'll see, Blake. <laughs> don't uh, don't beat yourself up over over uh getting this podcast out so. oh between the two of us we all know who beats himself up uh i feel like i'm the cause of more delay than anybody and i don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think either of us are worried about it 
Uh, All right. Well, Blake, it was a pleasure, uh, as always, to talk about movies with you. Yes, I always enjoy it. And I feel like we made it all the way through this one without saying something really bad. Uh, so, Like, uh, no, you're not going to trick me into saying more words like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say them. You're not going to trick me. Like, like what word? What were you going to say? I was... <laughs> I was going to say some bad words that weren't, like, top tier bad. Just shocking ones. But, yeah. Well, we, we say fuck all the time. Yeah, that's not bad. Are you talking about the C word? <laughs> I was almost going to say the C word, but I'm not going to say the C word. Mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> you can't tempt me. You know who else can't tempt me? Who? This dumb app Satan that I keep trying to get to tempt me. So, why did you pay three dollars for that, Jameson? Because it was only three dollars, and it was so enticing. Oh man, I can't believe we're bringing this up again. I can't leave you guys hanging. Uh, if you made it this far, Blake showed me this app about texting Jesus, and I was so excited to try it. But then I soon learned that not only can you text Jesus, but you can actually text Mary, Joseph, and Peter. But those are all the basic characters that you could text. But there's a whole host of premium characters that you can text. Including Judas Iscariot. And Satan. Yeah. It... Or Satan. Yeah. And I realized you could text Satan. And so I was like, well, I'm definitely going to spend $3 on this. Uh, I didn't make the mistake of forgetting to cancel it, though. So I have one whole month to text Satan. <laughs> and then it's already pre-canceled. You, I've already left. Didn't you already get gonna... flagged for having an inappropriate response with Satan? Well, so this is what's frustrating about it, is when you start the conversation with Satan, he says, hey there, I'm Satan. The devil. How can I tempt you today? And I tried to like get some temptation going. And whenever you talk to him, it's such a it's such a uh, scam because he says he'll like say something like "ha ha, I'm the devil," blah blah blah, and then he'll be like, "But you don't want to follow me. You want to strengthen your faith." by thinking about these verses and it's just this it's just a, it's basically jesus in a satan mask um and so it's terrible and so i was like okay maybe i could try again and i said i want to look at horny emojis do you think god will be angry and that's what i texted him and when i texted that it just said inappropriate query detected and it wasn't satan who said it it was just it was the, it was the, the system system because of the word horny and uh satan wouldn't reply so i was just so disappointed that i couldn't even tempt the great tempter into tempting me yeah 
That's because he's not your dancing monkey, Jameson. I think, yeah. You know what it is? The greatest trick that the devil has ever pulled was convincing me to pay $3 to try to text with him. So. Well, on that note, I think we should end. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.